Welcome to episode 169 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Okay, welcome back to another episode. Um, This week, my as seen on Instagram comes from the site Teachers Loves Love hacks teachers love hacks um instagram page and they had one that is a like random name generator but i think you could use it for you can type things in and you could use it for like a word list for articulation but it's a website um that they can use that it's it looks like uh one of the ball picking machines out of like the um (laughs) In the arcade, how you right. have the, the claw machine. The claw that goes and down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have one that looks like that, but they have a lot of different options in there. And uh, there's some paid options where you can, like, save your list, but there's some free options where you can just type in. And it's on onlinestopwatch.com. And then if you type in that and then random name pickers, then it has a lot of those that you can find. And I just thought it would be fun as like kind of a new way to, um, you know, bring up words if you're playing another game with the students and have it be more fun than just like showing a flashcard for articulation. So that was one thing I found on there. That's really cool. Yeah. It's always these websites are always coming up with new things. I know. I know. Right. And I just when I'm like, you know, like, oh, I've seen all of these tools before, then someone finds something new yeah. and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. There's something. Uh, yeah. I need to I ran across some stuff the other day and I thought I, I need to talk about this on the show. But of course, I lost my paper. And I wrote it down. <laughs> so I need to find it. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's hard that's to keep what- up. My other hack has been starting to use that save button more on Instagram because I always like will see things and I'm like, oh, that's so cool. I want to talk about it later. And then it's gone. I never (laughs) can find it again. And Instagram does not have great like search options and things like that. It's it's hard to find things again on there. So that's another thing that I've started using a lot is that save button on Instagram. (laughs) Well, Instagram needs to take it up a notch. Because they, I mean, I love in, Instagram. Right. I think that's where our tribe is located. A lot yes. of SLPs are there. Yes. Um, but I think they need to upgrade a little bit. And yeah, they're owned by their Facebook. Search in, yes. Right? Their search so, engine has has issues. <laughs> yeah. So we need to get uh, Facebook to stop focusing on threads and upgrade Instagram is really yep. what needs to happen. Yeah, if we did that, it'd be be better yeah not that i don't like threads i i've been on twice since it launched <laughs> so that maybe tells you something <laughs> but i'll go back i'll check in every now and again yeah um so on the show today we have emily cohen from tandem excuse me tandem speech um and emily is going to talk about um her practice and what she's been doing and she has some products, uh, one called Playing with Purpose. And uh, I think it's a really neat thing. And she's going to talk more about that. Hi, it's Todd Houston. I'm a co-host of Telepractice Today with my dear friend, Kim Allen. And I just wanted to take a moment and ask you a favor. 
You see, we at the 3C Digital Media Network, yes, and I am also the CEO of 3C, as we call it, we need you. We need you to maybe develop a webinar that we could distribute for you. Or maybe it's a course that you have in mind that you'd like to share your knowledge and skills. We would want to do that with you. We can help you distribute, produce, and distribute all of those things. We have blogs that you could do. Maybe you want to start in this whole wild world of online publishing and online media, and you want to start with a blog. We would be very happy to host that blog on our website. So if you have some ideas about blogging or a webinar or maybe a course that you'd like to offer or Maybe you have an idea for a totally new podcast. You may not know this, but we actually produce five podcasts, and it's growing. And so, who knows? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. We would love to talk to you. In fact, I would love to talk to you. I would love to showcase what you're doing, your knowledge and skills, no matter what it might look like. Course, webinar, podcast, blog, doesn't really matter. You can reach out to me at todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com. That's T-O-D-D at the number 3, 3C, C as in cat, digitalmedianetwork.com. And I will be in touch. Thank you for considering this, and we'll talk soon. Well, Emily, welcome to the podcast. Can you share more about your background? Sure. Um, thanks for having me. So let's see. I've been a speech-language pathologist for about 15 years, and prior to that, I was a special education teacher, and I kind of came to the, both of those professions through experience I had when I was in about seventh or eighth grade, um, I volunteered at a day camp in the summer that was run through um, one of the local school districts, or I guess the ISD. Um, and it was um, for children who were receiving special education services during the regular school year. So that um, and didn't necessarily qualify for extended school year or whatever it might be called where you are. Um, uh, but so that they could sort of continue to maybe maintain some of the skills that they had acquired during the school year so that there wasn't regression. So to maybe kind of deal with that regression recruitment that we sometimes see in the public schools. Um, and it was a really great experience that summer. And I continued to volunteer there through high school. Um, and then, like I was saying, I, I did um, my undergraduate degree in special education and taught in the public schools in Michigan, which is where I'm originally from, for about three years before deciding to go to graduate school. And I went to graduate school in Michigan and um, finished my CFY there. And then I moved to Texas 
And so, and I worked in a variety of different settings. I worked in hospital, outpatient pediatrics. I've always done pediatrics. Um, And then I worked for some other private practices once I got to Austin. And then about seven years ago, I started my own practice tandem speech therapy. Wonderful. That's a, that's a great tour through, (laughs) through your life there. That's great. Yeah. And and, uh, you're still in Texas now, right? Yes. I am still in Austin, Austin. Texas. Yes. Wonderful. So is, is Austin really a cool city to live in? Well, we're recording in August, so it is not cool temperature-wise oh, right well, now. Cool, um, yes. <laughs> but it is a pretty cool city in terms of the um the non-temperature climate. Um gotcha. yeah, it's a great well, place. I'm in southern Utah and it's not very cool here either, <laughs> but it's a cool place. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are you still cooking breakfast on your on your yeah, hood yeah. of the car? Outs- outside yeah. on the hood of the car. Yep, yeah, I could. Yeah. <laughs> I, d- I definitely could as well. Right. That lady that baked bread in her mailbox was in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've we've seen the heat around the country. It's been something else this year. And uh, yeah, Texas, especially, you guys have had some record temperatures and so many days over 100 and all that stuff. So that's yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Yes. And I have a friend in Austin who brought her baby home from the hospital in the middle of the ice storm oh. and actually couldn't bring her baby home, had to go live with some friends for a couple days because yeah. <laughs> they had no power. So you guys have had both ends of the extremes. I know, we really yeah. have so many extremes. Yes. Interesting times. Yeah, <laughs> they are interesting times for sure. So as uh, you focused on pediatric uh, speech language pathology, you then, so your interest in telepractice, did it happen before you started your practice or or after? Telepractice really came to me because of the pandemic. I was Mm -hmm. familiar with it, um, but not, I had not really had any experience doing it myself until the pandemic. And um, obviously, like like a lot of us, switched Mm -hmm. fully to telepractice. And then I've gone back um, and I'm seeing, you know, a good number of clients at my office and still continuing to work with some families via telepractice. So what do you feel like telepractice adds to having a private practice? Well, I think it's an opportunity to kind of, you know, service families outside of the immediate area that I live in. So, you know, some of the families that I'm still working with on telepractice were families that found me during the pandemic, but are also families that don't live in the immediate Austin area. So they, even when I was transitioning back to seeing people in person, Mm -hmm. um, they were not people that had the ability to come to my office for a lot of whether it was distance or scheduling, just logistics of things. Um, so in that case, it's been it's allowed me to maintain that relationship and ha- continue to treat that child and work with that family. Um, and I think for for some in in some areas of the work that I do as a speech pathologist, I think it's given um, I've seen maybe sort of more engagement with the parents. I think sometimes in my office setting, you know, it's a pretty traditional setup. Like I have my office in the the spot part of the office that I work with the child and then there's the waiting room. And so in, you yeah. know, in a, in a really traditional setup like that, it's like there's the person that stays in the waiting room and the person that comes into the treatment room. Um, and even, mm-hmm. you know, even when, 
that hard barrier isn't there or have invited families in, some people don't take advantage of that. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I think in that regard, with some clients, I've had more engagement with their caregiver, which for me seems to help with sort of carryover and work towards mm-hmm. progress towards their goals. And so I know you you want to talk about some of your resources soon in just a moment, but what other sort of resources or your go-to strategies or activities that you've found with telepractice? Well, so one of the things I like about telepractice, um, especially because I do a lot of work with sort of like early intervention aged kiddos. And so doing telepractice with families like that, really, it's like, it's kind of, it, it really, in some regards, follows more of a traditional ECI model, where the child is in their own home, um, right. And the parents and the or the caregivers and the child are are playing and engaging with their everyday items, which I right, have found right. to be um, really valuable. And that was kind of a lot of work that I did. Even when I started my private practice, I didn't have a physical office space. So I was kind of doing that traveling around like, yeah. like SLPs and home health do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I love that aspect of working with families with young children um, and kind of like having to think on my toes a little bit and just see, you know, doing child-led play and seeing where the time is going to take us. Um, Because sometimes I think I get out of the habit of doing that here in my office because I have all these things and I can make a plan and assuming things go to plan, they go to plan and we just do the things that I planned. Um, uh, So yeah, I really love that opportunity of getting to be with the child in, in the moment that they're in. So it's not necessarily a really specific thing. It's really that true, like child-led play. And so if you don't mind, define what child-led play is, because I think some people think it was just let the child do anything. You just follow them versus (laughs) sort of putting some guardrails on what they're doing and, and how you're using language. Yeah. So I think there is a component of that, right? It's, Mm -hmm. um, is letting kind of, Childhood player following the child's lead. You know, we kind of, mm-hmm. I think we tend to sometimes use those terms interchangeably. Right. Um, and so, what that would look like to me is being down on the child's level or being at the child's level, wherever that might be, sort of in within the physical space. Um, a lot of the times when we're talking about really young kids, that's going to be on the floor. And so, as a therapist, I am trying to be tuned in and paying attention to the things that are capturing their attention. That might be toys, that might be other things in the room, that might be people, that might be the fire engine that's driving by and we can hear their siren. And using all of those opportunities to um, support their language and support the goals that we've decided that we're going to work on or that I've that I've laid out in my plan of care. Um, and so I think that takes a lot of flexibility. As a therapist, um, definitely, I think, skills that I've learned and flexed more and more over time. I think I've probably gotten better at that in the 15 years of practicing (laughs) than I was on day one, um, because that was definitely hard for me um, early on. Um, So, yeah, I think it's a combination. Just going back, it's a combination of like sort of some aspect of letting the child do their thing and inter intervening, providing intervention 
Mm-hmm. Um, and figuring out how I can use those moments and that opportunity and whatever they're interested in to then support their their goals, whatever we've decided we're working on. And how have you focused on parent coaching or caregiver coaching in that whole process? Yeah, so I think those opportunities are like, I, I try to sometimes, especially early on in the sessions, or I'll talk to parents in advance and say, I'm going to kind of hang back and I want to watch and see how y'all interact when you're playing with each other. Um, and that kind of gives me an overview there of, you know, maybe the parents sort of style or play, you know, some parents are kind of, um, some parents take on like a director role and that kind of stepping back and really letting the child do their own thing can be really challenging for us mm-hmm. as adults. Um, I think some parents, um, I, I actually tend to be a pretty quiet, introverted person, Um, And so my inclination, even when I'm with my friends, is to kind of be a listener. And so Mm -hmm. I think some parents kind of take tend to be people in general tend to be um, introverted and don't really um, they just kind of hang back and, and watch their child play with interest, but don't really talk to them very much, or maybe they're not sure what they're supposed to do in their moment. So I like to try to kind of understand what we're working with, what the baseline is. Um, And then the way that I like to do parent coaching is there are a couple of different things that I like to do. I like to, of course, kind of model and talk a parent through what I would do or, or ways that they can adjust um, how they're interacting with their child and say, okay, this is the goal. You know, we're really working on your child um, using more sounds with their lips. So we're talking about like bilabial phonemes. Um, and so those are, you know, and I try to work with a parent and come up with some words that might match activities that the child tends to be interested in or things that they've seen their kids play with a lot. So a ball, bubbles, a book. Um, maybe they're interested in a farm toy. So the cow says moo and the right. um, all of those things. So some of it is like we kind of try to come up maybe with some vocabulary that we're going to try to focus on and maybe use repetitively in the, se- in the session or when they're playing with their child um, to kind of provide exposure to new words or new sounds. Um and usually what I'll do is kind of talk a parent through this is this is our goal. This is the thing we're going to do. This is why we're doing it. And let me show you how I'm going to do that. And then I'll give the parent an opportunity to try. So, hey, mom, why don't you try what I just did? Um, and um, I think that can be kind of intimidating. Um, and so right. I try to... Um, let parents know that I'm, you know, there to support them and I don't want them to feel like I'm being critical and they're not doing anything wrong. We're just trying to make adjustments in little, like I I talk about, like we're going to make little tweaks to what they're already doing now that we know that we're working on this one specific thing or these these are their child's goals and these are the things that are going to help them get to that point that are, you know, the ultimate end goal. Most parents just want their child to start talking ultimately. (laughs) Exactly. Can you just fix them so I can talk to them? (laughs) (laughs) With my magic wand. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So go ahead, Kim. Oh, I was just going to say, do you see any, like, I know you've talked about this a little bit, but what do you feel like are the advantages to maybe doing that through telepractice versus in person? So 
Um, so one of my friends and colleagues here in Austin, who is an amazing physical therapist during the pandemic, um, gave me an amazing tip and and what I tend to do, I don't actually have any early intervention telepractice clients right now, but what I've done with those in the past is, um, I kind of like, I call it like, like the parent putting like a bug in their ear. So I'll ask parents to wear their earbuds or headphones. Um, It's like super awesome if parents have, you know, like wireless earbuds and they can just even just put one in and then I have them set up whatever device, a tablet, computer phone, whatever they're using for, for our video interface somewhere that's out of their child's reach Um, so that I can kind of coach them. Mm-hmm. through, you know, they're, and they're only hearing me and the child isn't hearing and seeing me. Right. Um, and so it feels in a lot of regards, like almost like the most naturalistic environment that the caregiver and the child interacting just like they would any in, in theory, any other day at home. And yeah. I'm just there to provide that coaching support kind of in their ear um, in the least intrusive way as possible. Right. Because I feel like we've all had those kids that, you know, the parent brings them in. They're like, they really talk when you're not here. I have a child that's like that. (laughs) The other day, this little girl came up to her and was talking to her and showing her all these things. My daughter did not say a word. As soon as the little girl walked away, my daughter said, that's my best friend. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, you couldn't tell because you didn't say a word to her. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So I like that idea of just like being, you know, the fly on the wall almost in the room. Yes. Um, so yeah, again, I think it just creates, I think it's as close to being a natural environment as possible. Right. And I think in those cases, it really, it really gives you the, it's in some ways, you know, we're kind of like forcing the parent into this role to, to provide, to be, you know, part of the intervention process. But I think we know as speech therapists that parents having, being equipped with some of those new skills is really going to help them help their child, yeah. which is, you know, going to help us all get to our end goal in the theory, maybe a little bit faster. Yeah. So have you had parents that are more used to that medical model and kind of even in telepractice to think that they're just going to sit their child in front of there and they're going to go, you know, load the dishwasher for (laughs) half an hour (laughs) while you're in there? And how do you address that with families? Yeah, I I try to be as upfront as possible and as part of kind of the intake process before I've ever met the child, um, whether it's a family that I'm working with on telepractice or people coming into the office, I try to lay out as clearly as I can um, and and um, set really like realistic expectations and um, and doing that, I have not been led astray um, so far. And, and, you know, with most of the time um, with the families that are going to come into my office, the intake process is just on the phone with the with the caregiver. But um, when I know in advance that I'm going to be working with a parent on telepractice or a family on telepractice, um, I like to try as best as we can to do that intake process over over the video platform um, that I use so they can if they haven't had it any experience with it in a therapeutic kind of environment. Yeah. Um, they kind of get a little bit of a sense of that in yeah. advance as well. And tell if their internet connection is going to work well enough yeah. and things like that. Yeah, exactly. That's good. It's all about setting those expectations from the start. Yes. That, yes. that helps eliminate some of the issues that might come up later if you don't yeah. set those expectations. Yeah. So let, let's talk about playing with purpose. 
So how did this come about? Um, Playing with Purpose came about when um, tandem speech therapy was new. um, And I was um, starting to get into blogging. And a girlfriend of mine here in Austin had a young child. Um, and we know, right, there's like all subscription boxes for everything. And now there are some really, um, really great toy um, and player-based ones that families are really interested in. Um, but my girlfriend thought a really great idea for me would be to create a subscription box service in addition to running my private practice. And I could send families toys with all kinds <laughs> of ideas of what they could do while they were playing with their child um, and um, using these toys that I sent them. And while that was a great idea, that business model did not feel feasible to me. <laughs> and so I decided <laughs> to turn that instead into a series I wrote on my blog. Um And it just really was like me being really systematic about collecting the ideas and the things that I realized that I was doing a lot in therapy with either specific toys or activities or the things that I recognized that I was, I was suggesting to families a lot to try outside of the therapy setting. Um, Or, you know, when I was leaving their house, hey, why don't you try these two things? We played with puzzles a lot this week. Here are some ideas. Um, And so I just started writing and collecting all of those ideas and things just kind of transpired from writing a blog to publishing um, all the information that I had at the time um, in a book. Wonderful. Yeah. And so you can, I noticed on your website, you can download a chapter and, and read through, get an idea yep. for how it, how it works. Or exactly. What yeah. About. So there's some there, the book has, um, some a lot of information about language development and now we're talking about kids who are um, analytic or really traditional language learners not kids that are gestalt language processors um because mm-hmm. um that is more new to me than yeah. when i was starting <laughs> as a speech right. pathologist 15 years ago um and i know that's true for a lot of slps who have been practicing for a while so mm-hmm. it's really um keeping in mind analytic language processors or if we're talking about gestalt language processors we're talking about kids that are well into you know stage 4 stage 5 when they're generating more novel language like we would see in analytic language processors um so there's all kinds of just basic development information things related to um what we might consider milestones and just so parents and caregivers or other professionals who work with kids but aren't speech language pathologists can have a, a sort of an idea and understanding about how language development happens and then um the later chapters in the book are dedicated to specific toys or specific activities and everyday routines that are common in children's lives great so sounds the- wonderful audience for it at mostly parents or just like non-SLPs or SLPs to use to give to families? Yeah. And I've, and I have had a lot of SLPs by the book. Um, uh, Sometimes, you know, as SLPs, right, our scope of practice is really big and, you know, we're kind of what I would describe as like a birth to death field (laughs) Um, and people transition, right. People transition settings and populations sometimes in their career. So if you're an SLP that has never worked with young children and making a transition for any number of reasons, it can be a valuable resource. It new, it sometimes new clinicians find it 
really helpful. Um, uh, and yeah, also, um, it's a really, I find it a good resource. I've had people buy it for grandparents um, and yeah, other early childhood educators and people in related professions, but work with families with young children. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I haven't bought my copy yet, but I, I definitely will because I think it sounds perfect for the population I work with, which is mostly young children, uh, birth to three and doing a lot of parent coaching. So that's that's sort of my whole area. So I, I'm always looking for great resources for not only for me, but for my grad students that I'm working yeah. with yeah. and yeah. my parents, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely will be purchasing that. Thank you. Yeah. And I try to write it um, really um, as, as, as non-professional friendly as possible. And I describe it to people who have never seen it before that you would, you would kind of use it. Like it's like a resource book that you might use sort of like a cookbook. Like you open it up, you go to the table of contents and you're like, okay, what's the, what's the nugget that I want today? What do I want to make? What do I want to do? You could certainly read it cover Mm -hmm. to cover. Um, but you could just say, okay, like my child or the child I'm working with has been really interested in playing with cars. Let me find the two pages that are about cars and I can, you know, hopefully look at it and, and get a new idea or execute something that you haven't done before, um, pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah. Wonderful. I I like the, the idea of the, like the systematic instructions with it too, or at least some ideas to point parents in a certain direction. I feel like sometimes as we're working with kids, we just think if they watch me play, then they'll know how to play with their child (laughs) and they'll just, they'll see what I'm doing and then they'll do it. But a lot of times they don't get those nuances of, you know, the things that we're saying, why we're saying them and things like that and being able to take it home and then replicate it, but make it work for them. So I think that's a great idea. Yeah, exactly. Well, Emily, I think it's time for our most important part of the interview. And do you know what that is? I don't. So I'm, ex- I'm a little nervous, but also excited. <laughs> it's, it's called our moment of Zen. And so with our moment of Zen, it's an opportunity to get to know you a little bit better. And, and so we have three different lists of questions, list A, B, and C. There are 10 questions on each, and all you need to do is pick which list you want, A, B, or C. I'm going to choose C because it's the first letter in my married last name. Very good. Okay, here we go. Where did you grow up and how did that affect who you became? I grew up in Michigan in the suburbs of Metro Detroit. Um, and hmm, how did that influence it? I think, you know, being from the Detroit area, um, I think I saw a lot of very hardworking people who were involved in unions and making mm-hmm. sure that um, people sort of rights were respected. Um, And I think those kind of values were instilled in me from that. Excellent. It's my favorite airport. (laughs) Oh, it's a good one. I haven't been there in a while, but I'm going in October. Really? (laughs) And I'm in, I fly out of Cleveland often. And so if if I'm going West, it'll usually take me through Detroit or that's one option. And I usually do that because it's, it's my, I think it's probably is my favorite airport to go through. 
It's just <laughs> so clean and nice and beautiful. So. Yeah. Um, so if money wasn't a factor, what would you do with your time? Um, I really love gardening and all things. Well, I should say not so much. I do love gardening, but I don't really live in a place where that's easy to do all year, <laughs> but I love plants. Gotcha. And so I think I would like, I don't know if I would want to like own a plant store, but I would do something with plants and people and however those two things intersected. I've been really good at growing weeds this summer. <laughs> What'd you say? Growing weed? weeds? Weeds. Weeds. Oh, weeds. It's a very, very important. Oh, I thought you'd started <laughs> another business there in Utah. <laughs> it's not legal here yet, Todd. <laughs> well, you're in the near the four corners. You can go in lots of different directions. This is true. <laughs> um, next question. What was the last thing you searched for on Google? Oh, this is going to connect back to what we were just talking about with Detroit because I am going there in a couple of months and I was looking at some, a friend sent me an article about the best um, hotels to stay in the city. And so I was looking up things related to that. Wonderful. What do people misunderstand about you? Um, I mean, I think I alluded to this before, but I am definitely an introvert and generally a quiet person. And I think when I meet someone for the first time and I tell them I'm a speech language pathologist, that might not be what they assume. Because they've never that. heard you talk before. So because you're so <laughs> introverted. Right? Yes. So how can you be a speech? Okay. Um, next question. What is the a common myth about your job or industry? Uh, I think I think there's a pretty common myth that pediatric speech therapists just play. <laughs> yeah. And while I do play a lot, and for the people listening can't see all the toys that are behind me because I'm at my office, um, mm -hmm. I, I think I do more than, quote, just play. Just play. Do, do you know what you're doing, Emily? You're playing with purpose. Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Little plug in there. Yes. <laughs> um, what challenge in life shaped you the most? Um, I have had like a chronic autoimmune disorder since I was a, a child, since I was 10. I'm in my mid 40s. And um, that impacted a lot of different things at different stages, <laughs> excuse me, in my life. And um I think that I think in some ways that allows me to like relate to some of my clients who are experiencing challenges in their day to day life for any number of reasons or, um, you know, some of the older middle elementary kids that I have worked with over time that have felt different for any number of reasons. And so I, I remember feeling that at various points of time. Sure. That's that's great. When are you most productive? Uh, I'm a morning person. Okay. So um, I am most productive in like that first hour after I wake up. I have coffee pretty soon after I am awake. And if people in my house didn't stop me from like getting out my laptop and starting work, I would probably do that and you know, just kind of like knock a bunch of things out when everything's fresh and my brain is the freshest. 
Very good. What's your favorite comfort food? Oh, wow. Well, I eat a lot of tacos being in Texas, but I'm not <laughs> sure that, that I was going to guess. I was like, is it tacos? I've heard yeah. Austin's I pretty well known for their tacos. Yeah, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if it's like my favorite comfort food. Um, I think like... I think like pizza feels more like comfort food to me. Tacos are just like what I eat all the time because it's the most readily available, <laughs> even though I do really enjoy them. That's great. Um, do you have a life motto or quote or saying that you live by? Oh, I'm not sure that I do, but I do think that like I recognize that like I try to like recognize that like every we kind of get an opportunity to kind of start fresh in the morning. And I try to, I'm trying to be more mindful about being grateful for um, like small things. I'm trying to recognize that mm-hmm. in my, in my day to day. Very good. Last question. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Um, I would like God to say, welcome. Very good. Great. Well, Emily, how can people get in contact with you or order their copy of Playing with Purpose? How how can they do that? um, People who are on social media can find me at Tandem Speech. um, Or um, because my book is Playing with Purpose, they can find all the things related to the book at pwpbook.com. Wonderful. Great. Well, good luck with everything you're doing. Thank you so much. We want to thank Emily for joining us on the podcast. And please go check out what she's doing at tandemspeechtherapy.com. I think you'll be impressed. And thank you for joining us on this episode. And if you don't mind, please leave us a five-star review. and, And that always helps us to attract new listeners. And I should also mention, we at the 3C Digital Media Network, we are looking for content creators. Please, if you have some ideas for a webinar or a course, or maybe you want to do your own podcast, we can work with you. Just email me at todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com. Really appreciate it. And until next week, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.